Welcome to the WebMD Health Discovered Podcast. I'm Dr. Neha Bhattak, WebMD's Chief Physician Editor for Health and Lifestyle Medicine. Today, we're exploring the health of our romantic relationships. We often have expectations not just about being in a loving relationship, but also about a partner that's dedicated to our personal growth, our journey of self-improvement, and we start layering on our expectations. But can these expectations set us up for disappointment? How do we respond or react when our expectations aren't met? Today, we'll explore the physiologic and psychologic benefits from investing time, energy, and aligning our expectations within our romantic relationships. We'll explore how we make the most of our resources as a couple and reap the rewards of a healthier and more fulfilling connection. Our expert to guide us through this is Leah Love Avellino. Leah is a licensed clinical social worker and modern love therapist, a writer and commentator, and a community organizer. Leah is also founder of Spoke Circles, a group support hub in Brooklyn. Welcome to the Health Discovered podcast, Leah. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Before we dig in, I'm really curious about your work. What do you do in terms of helping couples navigate their relationship? So I've been working with couples for almost a decade now, and what I do is support them in surrendering to who the other person is. So a lot of times people come in with pain points in their current relationship that have deep roots in their past. So experiences that they had in childhood or in their communities or based on the social identities and how the world treats them. And so in our couple's work, we help to parse out what is really bearing down on the relationship that we can support in alleviating some of that pressure so that the couple can turn toward each other rather than either fight or turn away from each other. In terms of some of the types of questions, the concerns that couples or individuals are coming to you with, can you describe some of these scenarios that you are frequently dealing with? Yes. So some of the frequent pain points are trying to differentiate what do I accept about my partner and then what do I fight to change? So most of us have a laundry list of things that were different, that we wish were different. However, there's only a couple of those things that feel mission critical to be in the relationship or to increase emotional and psychological safety. So helping people differentiate those two pieces. Another thing that's been coming up is how not to fall into default mode. So a lot of people are very busy in the day. And then at the end of the day, when it's time to connect to their partner, they're noticing they're on their phone or they're binge watching Netflix. And as much as they don't like this, they also don't feel motivated to get out of it. And then this other question of how much should I get from my partner? People are very confused about what should my primary romantic relationship give me versus what should my friendships, my community, things from outside of the world give me. And there's a lot of confusion around compatibility. I'm hearing a lot like, I don't know if this person is right for me. And people are really confusing sameness and compatibility. And we help to debunk in therapy. 
What do you think are some of the key shifts and expectations for romantic partnerships that have taken place over the last century? So one thing that comes to mind is that not only are people expected to partner up and have a loving financial agreement, raise children if they choose to, but they're also expected to support each other's self-actualization. They are interested in supporting their partner in improving and becoming a better person and being their true self. And if we look at the historical data, some social psychologists pin this on the 1960s with the rise of humanistic psychology, where there was this new mantra of be true to yourself, be yourself, put yourself out there. And so that became a goal that couples are now trying to support each other in doing. While there's absolutely nothing problematic with that goal itself, what we do know is that we now have so many priorities. And the word priority wasn't even a plural term until the last century. So it only existed as priority. Can you imagine having one priority? And now it's like we want to be better in our jobs. We want to feel healthy in our bodies. We want our aging parents to feel love. We want our children to have good opportunities and take up causes for social justice. We want to have self-care, right? And so this pile on is what's making couples feel really heavy under the weight of expectation. So let's talk about when you're not effectively communicating. So by the time we lash out, or are so withdrawn that we're not communicating, it means we've blown past a considerable amount of stop signs because our nervous system is saying, hey, I'm too overwhelmed here, right? So how can we orient to our own self-experience and notice what are the signs that I am approaching my limit? And how do I nurture myself as a kind relational act in order to ensure I don't reach that limit. A lot of times, many of us are taught to be more pleasing, especially if we are a woman or a person of color where we had to make sure we bowed to power and met other people's needs instead of navigating our own. So we think it's kind to avoid our needs and meet others, but then we explode because we feel resentment. And resentment is the indicator that we've gone past our limit. So I think a lot of what's problematic about couples interventions is some of the things can be done in the unit, but some of the things need to be done on our own. The second piece is looking at two parts of a relationship as key. There's the rupture, right? Ruptures are actually key because they're our way of getting clear on what we need as a couple. They're our way of stepping in the mud and that orients us to there's a problem that might need some attention and care. But what is also key and even more so is the repair. So if we find we're getting into the same argument or we're in the same situation over and over again, that's an indicator that we haven't adequately repaired. There's a wound that still remains open in the relationship. And each time someone forgets to fold the laundry or someone's doing more emotional labor with the kids, a little bit of salt is poured into that wound until it really starts to sting. And we all respond to that stinging differently. So I think parsing out these elements of what's really happening here, what is my role and what is the other person's role? So a couple of things coming up for me as you were talking. 
is this whole idea of balance in a relationship and balance in so many different ways with a lot of different layers. So one is just the balance of how much of a priority you give your relationship within the context of one really busy day. Yes. All of us have our childhood stories and our experiences of being ignored or not being prioritized or not feeling like we matter. And we think that other people have a similar upbringing or stance or position. But the truth is we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are, as Anais Nin reminds us. So opening up that communication vein can allow couples to feel close, not because they're working harder to get in proximity, but because they're expressing their truth, which is a move towards closeness. Being authentic is a move towards closeness, even if that authenticity is saying, I can't be close to you right now. You know, I always think about how in every dyadic relationship, every two-person relationship, there's three sets of needs. There's your needs, there's your husband's needs, and then there's the relationship's needs. And those cannot be aligned all the time. Not everybody can get their needs met all the time. But what I love is that even though every need doesn't need to be met, every need does need to be recognized. If we don't have those needs recognized, we start to feel lonely. What would you say are some of the benefits, physiologic, psychologic, in terms of doing this work that you can hope to achieve if you're prioritizing your relationship? So having reciprocal relationships where both people are buying into it. The research shows that people live longer, they have fewer strokes, they experience less depression. Now, this is also, if we're talking about marriage, that is a state-sanctioned union. So they have tax benefits, they have plus one invitations, right? So we also have to be mindful of like how the world responds to certain couples, specifically positively for straight couples. And so there are so many benefits when we are able to commit time, energy, and care to this work of building a relationship where two people have deep respect for their differences. Where it gets tricky is when reality and expectations do not align and where the expectations are outsized to the couple's capacity to meet them. And if we think about expectations, right, if I set a goal for myself to run six miles and then I can't do that, I'm going to beat myself up. I'm probably not going to try to do it the next day versus if I set a goal of running for five minutes, I might be more likely to do that and therefore feel better about myself. It's very similar in our relationships. So how can couples cultivate a bond without trying to facilitate one another's self-actualization? The first thing that comes to mind is stay in your own lane. I see couples all the time veering out of their lane, taking up the struggle of the other person. First, ask yourself if you have the capacity to do that. Second, ask yourself if that is the role you want to play, fixer, helper, supporter. Many times, especially if we played that role in our social identity or in our families, we believe that we have to take up the challenge of another or we're not doing enough. Simply bearing witness and being with our partners and saying, I see you're struggling at work. I see it's so hard for you. 
as your mother ages. I'm right here with you, but not asking questions to get to a personal place, not trying to change or fix, but just being with is something that I don't feel people think is enough of a gift as it is. The other thing is to differentiate what you need to get from the relationship and then what you can get outside of it. So where there was this one time in my life after my second baby, I was really struggling. I was feeling depressed. I was feeling lost in who I was. And my husband, I could tell, was like trying to figure out how to help me while work and while helping raise the two kids. And I looked at him and I said, my happiness is my journey. I just need you to hold my hand while I'm spiraling down. And so really being clear about him being my partner in my journey, not my fixer, my doer, my helper, and that my work was figuring out how I could find myself and find what grounds me and gives me joy outside of the nuclear family. So that's really interesting because you had to have that insight that this was your work to do. So how do you help people understand that piece of it? Oh, I love that question so much. So the first thing that we all love to do as humans is when we're putting it on our partner, what we're really doing is we are trying to create distance between ourselves and our negative emotions. So if I ask myself, what's happening for me right now? What is actually going on in the relationship in this moment versus what are those burdens and pain points that I've carried my whole life before my partner came into my life? That is one of the most kind relational acts that we can give. Are there moments where it's okay to recognize that maybe the relationship isn't the priority at that current moment or that you need to prioritize yourself as an individual? How do you make that work within the relationship? Yes. So some research shows that couples who are able to spend time alone once a week, quality time, doing something that they love together are three and a half times more likely to report being very happy in their marriage. This is research from social psychologist Eli Finkel. So the reality is the more quality time we are able to get, the better we are going to feel. That being said, when we cannot prioritize the relationship is how do we communicate our own limited capacity in a way that isn't blaming, shaming, or out of a sense of duty and responsibility. Like, I'm doing this for you, but I really don't want to do it. And so I really had to do work and I work with couples to do that in a very loving way. So I might say something like, I miss you so much. I miss seeing you naked. I miss having silent dinners with you without children in the background. I miss us sitting at barrel stool height and not being sat at the kids table in the back of the pizza restaurant. And we don't have time for that right now. That's not our life. And I want you to know that I still feel these things for you. That is an olive branch. That's a move towards even though it's setting a boundary rather than shutting down or lashing out or scrolling through my phone at the end of the day. And then is it helpful to also say, and sometimes when I'm by myself, that's actually beneficial for all of us or both of us? How do you sort of bring that piece into it? Yes, I think that is something that's a misconception in the rise of this nuclear family, that we have to be together all the time. 
But if we are together all the time, then we are escaping ourselves. We are not getting to know ourselves. We are not getting clear on what those emotions we have are and what our needs are. And if we don't know what those are, then we can't connect. So I believe in nurturing your own secret garden and communicating when you're going to do that. So I need time alone once a week. Hey, honey, what's your week look like? So that you can take the reins on family life or home life while I take the reins on me life. Knowing that nurturing me is a key act to authentically nurturing the family. And now this is more so just to make sure that we honor for those people where they've tried a lot of these conversations. There's maybe something else going on where both partners are not coming in good faith potentially to really repair after rupture. How do you talk to an individual in that situation? So there's a statistic that people come to couples therapy six years too late. So typically people show up on fire, right? So looking at your relationship now, wherever you are in that journey, ask yourself, are your needs getting met? Are enough of them getting met that it still feels like you're putting deposits in, not only withdrawing, from the couple's unit. And then figuring out, is this something that you're willing to commit more time and energy to? Or is this something that you really don't want to do anymore? And really, again, going inward to answer that question. When we feel hard things, we typically want to turn away rather than turn towards. And if you feel like there's more juice there, If you feel like there's something more you have to give in your own vulnerability journey to take down your sword, to take down your shield, I want to invite you to contemplate that really seriously. I love that point. And I love your point earlier about how we don't necessarily have these conversations as couples to recognize how many of us are going through these difficult times. And I think that that is just such an important part of the conversation that we don't necessarily have in terms of how much time can be spent in difficulty or questioning. Yes, that when we dull the negative, we dull the positive too. The more we are able to be in the tough stuff, the more we are able to reap the benefits of joy as well. And I'm also for contemplating different relational strategies. So I have a couple that I'm working with where they are friends and they're contemplating raising a child together and keeping their romantic relationship separate from the family unit. I myself have experienced divorce, so I did throw in the towel and engage in a process called power parting, where we acknowledge what we took from the relationship and still choose to end it. So I think there's a lot of ways to go about this. And I also believe that humans Friction happens when any two things rub up against each other. So if it's not with this partner, it's going to be with someone else. And if you want to work your stuff out and figure out your role in the disconnect and see what happens, I think that will benefit you and your future partnerships or the partnership you're in. Amazing. Thank you so much for this conversation. So before we close, I would love to invite you to provide any final action items that our audience, anyone listening, can take away and start with today? So I think by getting curious about these disconnects rather than going to a state of blame or criticism and actually looking outside of the relationship 
for why the relationship might not be working, the pressures, the demands, the unfair expectations, rather than locating those disconnects or issues in your partner could be an awesome start for you. We've talked with Leah Love Avellino about our romantic relationships and how to think about ourselves not only as a couple, but as individuals within a couple to strengthen our romantic relationship. To find out more information about Leah Love Avellino, visit lealoveavellino.com and spokecircles at spokecircles.com. We'll have more information about her and her work in our show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Please take a moment to follow, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform. If you'd like to send me an email about topics you're interested in or questions for future guests, please send me a note at webmdpodcast at webmd.net. This is Dr. Neha Patak for the WebMD Health Discovered Podcast. Podcast.